Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today on the podcast, we have a very special guest. I'm going to be joined by Amanda Cruz. And two weeks ago, Amanda ran 2.44 at the California International Marathon, which set her up for the 2020 U.S. Marathon Olympic Trials. And that is uh, an incredible accomplishment in its own right. But that is nothing compared to with this the training cycle she's gone through her family being um having to go through hurricane harvey you know she's from the houston area in texas and everything that did to her home in the, in addition to that when you think about a potential olympic you know olympic marathoner someone who's going to be going to the olympic trials you're thinking about somebody who usually has been running at a very high level for their entire life and that is just not the case with amanda cruz amanda really started getting into running Five or six years ago, after she gave birth to twins and she wanted to get rid of some of the baby weight. You know, she was a fit person before that, but that's really when her running career started. And she has gone from a 335 marathoner to almost a full hour off that time. And, and she is a just a ball of energy. If you follow her on Instagram, it's run to PR uh, is her handle. And you can see for yourself, she's just constant motion. She's always doing something uh, physically fit, whether it's karate, jujitsu, you know, body pump classes, or running an insane amount of mileage each week. Uh, she really is fun to follow, and I'm really excited to talk to her about her running journey, what she did at the California International Marathon, take a really deep dive into that race in particular, and what's next for her in her running career. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rambling Runner podcast with Amanda Cruz. And if you're listening to us on iTunes, I will say with the iOS uh, 11 update, the podcast app is a little different, so please subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't done so already, you can also follow the podcast on Facebook, the Rambling Runner Facebook fan page, where I put out not only every new episode, but also articles and videos that I find uh, personally compelling and that you might find uh, compelling as well. So with that said, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Rambling Runner podcast with Amanda Cruz. Hello, Amanda, and thank you for joining me on the Rambling Runner podcast. Yes, thanks for having me. Super excited. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm uh, equally excited to talk to you, probably even more so, frankly. Um, and I would say, you know, a week and a half ago, you really put it down, 244 at the California International Marathon. First of all, congratulations. Thank you so much. It was honestly, it was just, it was a perfect race, perfect scenario. Weather was fantastic. The training hadn't gone as planned, but uh, we executed it. So it was, it was, it was amazing. The whole experience was absolutely amazing. And I can't wait to talk to you about the training because it really did have a lot of ups and downs. And I think a lot of times people think, hey, how am I going to run the perfect race? They think, well, hopefully training goes perfectly. And obviously, who wouldn't want their training to go perfectly, but rarely does that happen for most of us. Um, right. So I can't wait to dive into that. Uh, but before I do so, the last week and a half post-race, how are you feeling and how are your legs holding up? Feeling good. You know, recovery is a big part of it. It's a balance. Um, so, I'm, you know, even though I don't necessarily feel the soreness anymore, I definitely know that I need to be scaling back a little bit. So I've done some five-milers. Um, I definitely took a good part of the first week off. Um, and so I'm just now starting to add some runs in. 
Um, I did do my first double today, and I'm finally starting starting to get back into the kickboxing. Um, so yeah, you know, I feel good, I feel fresh. Um, but you know, there's just there's still that underlying recovery that's so important. So I just try to remind myself of it that it was just two weeks ago, and um, we're gonna take that part serious as well. And you've run plenty of marathons in the past. How long do you think it will take for your legs to to go back to kind of their baseline, the baseline level of not feeling any of the after effects of the race? You know, like, I, I I really think there's a good two-week period there where you really need to be careful. It, it really depends on each runner, but there's a, you know, there's small microfascial tears and things that happen to the muscles in, in a marathon, and we may not feel it at, in the beginning, and, um, you know, but it's one of those things that if we don't recover properly, that it's something that kind of shows up three or four months down the road, so... Um, so I definitely think it's just one of those things you need to listen to your body and just be patient and, um, and build back slowly. You know, there's no pressure. You just ran a marathon, right? So let's enjoy it and kind of just give our bodies the break that we need so that we can build again. That's a great way of looking at it. So 244, that sets you up for a U.S. Olympic marathon trials qualifying. I mean, what an, an amazing accomplishment. And as I just mentioned in the intro before we got started, when, when I think of someone who is an Olympic trials qualifier, no matter what race, whether it's the marathon down to the 100-meter dash, I think of someone who's running at a high level for basically their entire life, right? So right. that's kind of like the standard that, that, that gets set, and that's, I think, what most people have in mind, or at least I do. However, that is not the case with you, Amanda. So going back to high school, like when was, what was running like for you, you know, back when you were a teenager? Yeah, so you know, so I ran in high school. I was a swimmer first, and um, I was—I've always been the, on the endurance part of it. Um, so I was a distance swimmer, but um, during off season, I just needed something to kind of get into, and so I started doing um, cross country and track in high school. You know, I think it was one of those things. I wasn't the best on the team, um, but I—I I really had the heart for it. I, you know, I was always willing to do my best and try my hardest. But I think when you're a, a younger runner, especially in high school, you know, it's not one of those things that typically during off season, like summer that you would be training and, and, and continue. And, you know, running is one of those things that you get what you give and, um, you know, it's gotta be a consistent effort. And so, um, you know, high school is great. It definitely, it, 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 I found the passion and the joy for running, but you know, I wasn't great at it. And I really didn't have the commitment at the time to really make it anything more. So after high school, I, you know, went to college and, and just really didn't run. I didn't pick it up until after I had had our kids, our twins. So what were you doing, I guess, fitness wise during that time between, you know, kind of post high school up until uh, your twins were born, what, five or six years ago? Yeah. So, you know, really after high school, I really didn't do anything in college. I, you know, I, I went to the gym and I would do, you know, I think the most cardio I may have done would maybe have been like the elliptical. Um, I think during like college years, I was more into strength training, um, group fitness classes, but I really didn't do any, any running, believe it or not. I, I honestly, to be honest, I didn't really know there was this outside world of once, if you weren't a runner in college, I didn't really know there was this 5k marathon, half marathon world. And I really didn't know anything about it until I had a friend, a high school friend actually that I ran with. And, um, she came to visit me in the hospital when I was about to deliver our twins. And, um, she told me, you know, Hey, you really ought to get back into this running thing. And there's a race, you know, come try it out. It was a 5k at the time. And so really that was the first time that I really got that um that that view of seeing that there was running that didn't have to be in college that there was like a you know a recreational type of running so um yeah so really it was really just something that I picked up after I had the kids there was really nothing in between high school and and from that very first 5k that um you know kind of kept me fit I really started from the very beginning as a 35 minute 5k so 
All right, so I, I have to ask. So, so you're sitting in the hospital. You're carrying twins. You're about to give birth. What were you thinking when all of a sudden your friend starts talking about running races? You know, I mean, she gets me. You know, your friends motivate you. And um, so truly, I mean, I, honestly, I was excited. Uh, I, 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 you know, I, I, I loved running. I've always loved it. And so just having her kind of just tell me that there was something out there that was still available to kind of do the running, but without being amazing and being, you know, a top recruit in college or on scholarship or something like that. Um, you know, I was excited about it. All right. So, so after you give birth, you know, you have, you have your two twins and you have an older, uh, older son as well. So they have three in total. At what point after that do you start, you know, kind of starting your running career in earnest? Yeah. So my very first 5k was run, um, when the twins were six months old. Um, I remember I pushed a stroller, um, and, uh, it, you know, it, it was tough at the beginning and we had young kids and, um, it took, it was a balance. Many times my husband was with the kids on the sideline. Many of those long runs were done while he was following me in the car with the kids. Um, you know, it was definitely a balance, but that very first 5k, you know, I did have the twins. Um, and just, it was just kind of like that family effort of just, you know, I was going to do it to get in shape. And that was kind of like the initial goal was to kind of just get my body back to where I wanted it to be. And then I quickly realized that running was one of those sports that you just, um, you know, you kind of get what you give. And I liked that about it. I liked knowing that, you know, hey, I, that right now I'm, I'm breathless and I'm dying, you know, in this 5k, but I knew that it was one of those things that I could keep at and, and possibly get better. And um, so, yeah, it just kind of grew into something that, um, you know, we kind of all just worked together and I did the best that I could to get the runs in and kind of incorporated the kids as much as possible. Um, many runs were early in the morning or late at night. Um, but we did the best we could with just balancing the three kids. Yeah. Running with kids can be tough, especially when you have three and you know, they're at that, that kind of that, that young age, right. When you all of a sudden you, you put one down for a nap and another one's waking up at the same time you're putting right. another one down and, uh, trying to fit it all in. So were you more of an early morning runner or an evening runner? Yeah, so I was an early morning runner. Um, we had a group uh, where I lived, and we started at 5 a.m., so it really worked um, in the beginning stages. Um, and then as the kids got a little bit older, um, I, I kind of switched to being more of an evening runner. I'd put them to bed, and I would run in the evenings. I think the biggest thing is just being flexible. I can't really say there was any particular time that worked the best. I think throughout this entire process, it's just been kind of just doing it when I can. There's been times that I've just, um, when the kids were, um, you know, at soccer practice, I would run the soccer fields while I was watching the kids play. And um, so it's just kind of just utilizing the time that you have. I've definitely been that mom that's had the sneakers in the back of the car and pulled them out and just a mile is better than no mile. So, um, so yeah, I, I've always been kind of flexible on time, but uh, in the beginning it was definitely early mornings, late evenings. And then as the kids had gotten older and um, started doing activities, I was able to kind of incorporate some of those uh, workouts while they were doing what they were doing. And at what point did you transition from, okay, I want to get my body back. I want to you know fit in all the clothes I wore before I started carrying twins to all of a sudden, hey, this is this is something I can be really good at. Like I can have goals that are not just, you know, internal goals of like, hey, I want to set a PR or I want to get a certain time. Right. But all of a sudden you say, hey, I want to start beating people. When did that conversion happen? Yeah. So, you know, I've always been competitive, but I think that's the great thing about running or with anything that you do is um, the more you do it, the better you get at it. You know, I hate to use that word. It gets easier. It really never gets easier. You just get stronger. And um, so I think that was really just it. It was, you know, I, I would get a PR and I would realize, you know, wow, you know, um, could I go a little faster or could I push a little harder? And the answer was always yes. You know, I never really ever finished a race and felt like that was it, that I had peaked or, um, 
you know, that I had given everything that I had, you know, sure. It was hard. There were moments where, especially in the beginning, you know, I mean, it was, it wasn't easy in the beginning, but it was getting easier. And so I think that's kind of where I knew that this might be something that if I was willing to really work at and be um, persistent, that it could possibly be something bigger. And um, I think that's when I really started just setting those goals. Um, You know, they, they were big goals, but I think the big thing is to make sure that within that big goal that you set, um, smaller goals that you can see the progress. Um, obviously when I was that 35 minute five payer, I knew I wanted more, but if I fixated on just becoming an Olympic trials qualifier, it would have been disheartening at some point, you know, when I didn't reach it maybe as quickly as I wanted to, but having smaller, more achievable goals within that big goal really just kept me going. Um, and so as I reached those small goals, I realized I was making progress and it just kind of pushed me to keep going. Yeah. So you you have a great you did a, a really nice post CIM recap on your blog, um, which I uh, which I'll, I'll link to in our show notes. And I, I love the first line in it. It's something that uh, you've said you know some version of this several times in some of your social media postings. It's if your goal doesn't scare you, you aren't you know they aren't big enough. So if your goals right. aren't big enough, if your goals don't scare you, I'm sorry, then they aren't big enough. And when did you first set out? the big goal of being an Olympic qualifier and what was the context of that? Like what level of runner were you when you first said, you know, you first, you know, put that out into the universe. So I think uh, it was probably after that 311 when I ran the 311 um, at Houston, my second year, you know, my first marathon was a Boston qualifier and it was painful. I I wasn't as strong. I was real skinny. Um, You know, at that point I was more just uh, an endurance athlete and I didn't really focus on nutrition and, um, you know, building a strong body. And um, so it was painful. So I can't say my first marathon was the greatest experience, but coming back that second year and knocking off, you know, that amount of time and going from a 329 to a 311 um, really made me start respecting the distance and and trying to focus more on, um, you know, perfecting it. Um, And then I came back and when I ran that 257, um, you know, that was a, a harsh year in Houston. It was really hot and humid. And um, so I was kind of dealt a bad hand in terms of, um, you know, uh, the race stick environment. And um, so, but, you know, it just really, it just, it gave me that drive to just want to keep working at it. And um, so that was really, I think it was right around, I would say maybe within the last two years that I was really just a distance that I respected and I wanted to work to get better at. Um, and I just really wanted that Olympic trials qualifier and I was just going to do whatever I could, you know, to just make it happen, just get those runs done and focus and, um, just keep at it. Right. So that, that marathon was January 17th, 2016. So basically 22 months from when you ran CIM, uh, two weeks ago, which right. really is an, an incredible thing. It's like, it, even though, even that marathon itself at 311 is, is a magnificent time for a marathon, uh, especially for someone with, at that point, relatively speaking, just a limited running background. And I love the, I love the post that you have. All right. So I ran 311, but I really ran 307. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you always want to take that Garmin time. You know, even uh, with CIM, um, you know, it, it had me a little bit higher. And, and so it's tough as a runner. You know, you, you got to watch those tangents. And, um, you know, so, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of knew it was a 307-ish. But, um, you know, I just – just to see the progress, you know, they were big, big gains. I think, you know, I, I did have a lot of people with, that doubted the possibility. You know, I've always been upfront with my – with my goals. And I will say that I, I feel like you kind of need to speak those goals. And if, if, you know, if you can't speak it and believe it, then who is right. And so from the beginning, you know, when I decided to commit to do that Olympic trials qualifier, 
you know, I spoke it. I was willing to post it. And, you know, I had some people that think, yeah, right. You know, this girl's a 257 marathoner, you know, good luck, you know, but it fueled my fire. You know, um, I just, I wasn't willing to not speak the goal just because of maybe how ludicrous it may seem to someone else. But, um, you know, I just, it was something that from the very beginning, I was just willing to just say out loud. And I think it's important with any goal, you know, I, I truly believed it because I spoke it so much. Um, you know, I never really allowed myself to believe it was impossible. So why, when you were speaking that goal, did you feel like you wanted to put it out there for public consumption versus like telling your husband or your friends or your family? Why put it out there for everyone to see? You know, I think from the beginning, this entire journey with the Instagram, it's just been kind of one of those things that I've wanted to share just to kind of encourage and motivate other people to kind of be public with their own personal goals. You know, this maybe, you know, maybe if I wouldn't have qualified these on trials, it could have come back and people could have laughed at that point. But, it, you know, at some point you have to be willing to get uncomfortable and be proud of yourself and the progress. And regardless if I would have, and you know, re reached the big goal, um, the initial goal that I had set out to reach, you know, the entire story and the process leading up to it was, yeah, it's, it's a, what a lot of people go through. You know, I'm a mom, I, I balance it. It's a struggle. Um, you know, so I think it's important to just be open and honest with people. You know, I, I try to, to be open with the bad runs. You know, I don't want to post all of the good runs, you know, let's keep it honest and real. You know, not every run is fantastic. And so, um, you know, I do it just to kind of share every side of it, you know, to encourage the people that are starting to say, Hey, you know, I started just like you did. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything about fueling and shoes and, um, you know, all of the little things and, and it's okay. It's okay to be new. And, um, so, you know, in the beginning, I just wanted to kind of offer the advice and, um, you know, encourage people that were just getting started. Yeah. And you just said before, when you have those haters, you get someone out you and publicly say like, Hey, that's nonsense. Or you can't do that or, or whatever, even if it's more, um, subliminal than that explicit, do you feel like you're more motivated by proving people wrong or more by just like the, like the positive support side? Yeah, you know, so I, I've said it before, but I think your vibe attracts your tribe. And so there's more positive than I think the negative. And, you know, I definitely think I don't use the negativity so much um, as a drive. You know, I'm not one of those people to go back and say, ha, you know, look what I did. But I definitely, you know, there is some satisfaction in kind of somebody doubting what you can do. And um, but for the most part, you know, I, I kind of set out. As a, as a personal journey, truly, you know, I just, I wanted to see what I could do. And, um, you know, that's what running is to me. It's an individual sport, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely been some criticism along the way, but I, I try to avoid that. I, you know, I don't focus too much on that. Um, you know, I, I try to focus more on, um, you know, the people that are, you know, in the same boat as I am, you know, and we're all working towards a big goal, you know, we're in it together is what I like to say often. And when we truly are, you know, runners are a, a rare breed, we kind of just all get each other. And um, so, you know, typically, when you get that negativity, it's, it's, it's typically not somebody that is a runner or, or, or gets the, the fitness side of it, you know, those are the people that make that comment that'll say, you know, oh, you know, you train too hard, or, you know, you're crazy. And so th those, those are typically the people that, uh, you know, aren't, runners and um so yeah and they wouldn't get it and so i i just don't focus on that yeah I, that makes a lot of sense so it, 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 it i can't even imagine there being that much negativity considering the last two years your progress hasn't been perfectly linear but it's been pretty close i mean you've really improved kind of step by step over the last two years so diving into your 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 ramp up to cim which obviously was for you not only was it a big race but it's the national marathon national championship fairly flat course like just the perfect way to potentially 
reach the goals that you had set out. So, right. so you, so when you started your marathon ramp up, when exactly did that, did that training cycle start for you? You know, it started in the summer. Um, we flooded with Harvey in June. So, um, you know, I had kind of started, uh, you know, early summer and then when Harvey hit and we lost our home, there was some setbacks there, but, um, you know, I, I, I think maybe the next day after we were hit with Harvey, I went out and ran, you know, I, I've always kind of said, you're only down as long as you're, you're willing to stay down. And, um, so, you know, I kind of just, I, I was, it really just came down to effort and I'll say that's the greatest thing. I had the perfect marathon build leading up to Houston last year when I ran the 257 and it just wasn't a great race. Um, but I think this time, you know, I didn't have the greatest build and, um, but it kind of, it removed a lot of pressure. Um, this time it was just more about just getting it done. Um, so some of those long runs had to be split. Um, you know, some of them, I, I had several attempts to get long runs done. I would go out to do it and it just, it would just wasn't working and I'd come home recover and I was just, you know, try again. It was effort, um, being relentless. And, um, so, you know, after Harvey, once we, we settled, it was just kind of just getting those runs in as, as, you know, any way I could, um, and, and just doing the best I could, you know, I, I kept, telling myself it's effort it wasn't about being perfect and um, I think going into CIM that was like the best way to look at it because I had no pressure I had the perfect build for Houston and tons of pressure and it just didn't work and this time you know I just kind of went into it saying you know I did the best I could and I was going to go out and do the best I could at CIM and it worked so. so what exactly happened to your home after Hurricane Harvey? I, I remember watching videos of when you guys were evacuating the house. Yeah, with the boys. so we cut out there a little bit there, but um, I'm sorry, you cut out just a little bit. Oh, that's right. So what exactly happened uh, to your home uh, during Hurricane Harvey? Did you get real to move back into that house, or how exactly did that work for you guys? No, so we lost that home. Um, so the flooding, it was kind of one of those things. Uh, we didn't get any notice. Um, there was uh, the way they, there was a levee and the way they let water out. We were kind of flooded unexpectedly. So we had to be rescued from a boat and the home needed a lot of work. And, um, you know, we have a ranch um, that's about an hour from the home that we had that flooded with Harvey. And, and we were able to go back there for a little bit and stay, but our kids were going to school um, in, in the town that our home was originally at that flooded. And so we were driving back and forth and um, so we just decided temporarily while we were doing um, some trying to find another home and repairs just to go ahead and rent. Um, so we're renting right now and, um, you know, just kind of rebuilding. But um, but we did. We lost everything um, except for our clothes and the things on the wall. It was totally unexpected. But, um, you know, we really kind of grew from it. So uh, in the moment of thinking that it was just like the worst thing possible, like everything right now has kind of worked itself out. Um, so it's it's kind of been a blessing. It's hard to see it in the moment. And, and um but yeah, it's, it's, uh, we've moved on and, um, and things are getting better for sure. But, uh, yeah, it was definitely, a, it was, a, it was a, a struggle. I think more for the kids than, and than for us, it was hard for them to understand how they had lost little things, toys and, um, you know, things that kids kind of hold on to, whereas as, as adults, you know, you kind of look at it as something that's not maybe as, um, important, but you know, to kids, there's little things that they bring up that they've lost. And so that's, I guess that's probably the hardest part is just kind of watching them adjust to it. But um, but we've definitely made progress. Yeah, I was just going to mention that with the, with the kids because you know, you know, it's easy to focus. This is a running podcast. We're going to talk about your running and your great race. Right. But at the same time, it's all linked up. Like how how for you and your husband was it in terms of you know mentally and emotionally working through that with your kids because obviously you have all the other stuff going on with the houses and you know all your gear and you know getting to and from uh the different places you're living and all that but just mentally and emotionally with the kids 
what kind of toll did that end up taking on you two as parents? You know, like he's always been like the stronger in term when there's been struggles, you know, I tend to, um, I guess overthink things. And, um, you know, for me, I like to have, um, probably more routine. Um, and so he was the stronger, you know, parent during that, um, you know, I just kind of kept saying just to, to stay faithful and, and be strong and um, everything will work itself out. And it, it truly did. But um, I think I think that's important. You know, it's a balance. So, you know, when I was weak, he was strong. And, um, you know, and so we both kind of have like our own things that we bring to the table. But for sure, you know, when I, um, you know, start getting uncomfortable and, um, you know, getting down, he was kind of the picker upper. And um, so, yeah, so we were just we were quick on focusing on on moving forward. So we never really allowed ourselves to feel sorry for for the situation. Um, you know, I think that's the big thing when you're down, just get up. You know, you're the one that decides how long you're down. Right. And, you know, I did have people we talked about, you know, the haters. I did have people when I posted the very next day that I went out for a run. They just couldn't believe that, like, homes had flooded and here this girl is out running. But I just I mean, who wants to stay down, right? I mean, why not focus on the positive and focus on moving forward? And so that was just kind of our goal from the beginning. We just refused to stay down, you know, and just did our best that we could in that moment. Yeah, and you just said before that that ultimately you now look at it as a blessing. And I'm curious, in what way do you view it that way? Well, you know, obviously now we kind of know that 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 house is in a flood zone, so we won't be going back. But, um, you know, I just it's just given us uh, it's we don't there you know it's just possessions and i think that was the great thing you know was at the beginning you know you see all your things flooded and being hauled out to the side of the curb and there's just that moment of realizing that you never needed any of it anyways um and so i think and it was just kind of a relief and so you know we're starting over you know we still don't have a dining room set you know and there's areas of the home that are still empty but we're okay with that you know we're a work in progress and so um so I think that's the thing, you know, sometimes you focus so much on, on what you have and, and it's really not important at all. And so um, that's just been kind of great for us, just kind of starting over and getting back to the basics. And obviously for you, part of being uh, part of the basics is being physically active and you really got back into uh, into the, into the marathon ramp up pretty quick. And then all of a sudden you do put a couple of good months in and then just back to back, you throw down a 1748 in the Thanksgiving 5K, and then you do a 10 mile race shortly thereafter in one right. in one hour and two minutes. And for you, those are obviously are fantastic times. So going into those races, what expectations did you have for each one from a time and effort perspective? Yeah, so we went into those as training runs, and that's why we were kind of excited about CIM, or we really didn't know where we were at for CIM. Um, you know, the 10-mile race was the first one I did, and, um, you know, my coach kind of told me, you know, hey, we're just using it as a training run. And, uh, you know, my initial goal going out, there was a girl that was running that race, and she was a good runner. And so I thought, you know, I'll just stay behind her. And there was a moment during the race, if you look at the splits, they were very uh, – yeah, I don't want to say slow, but they were very comfortable for me. And um, so there was a point like midway during the race, I just decided to kind of open it up a little bit. But, um, you know, I finished that last mile in a 556 and I still wasn't tired. And, uh, you know, my coach was like, you know, uh, kind of wondering, you know, well, what would have happened if we would have gone in with, you know, with, with a race effort. And um, so I just remember feeling real comfortable after that. And, um, uh, and then the Thanksgiving 5K, you know, that was something we kind of threw in. It was a family race. The kids ran the 1K, and both my husband and I ran the 5K. And, um, again, I didn't taper for it. I had a, a full training week leading up to it and, um, you know, went out and felt pretty comfortable and ended up negative splitting again on it. I think, like, the first mile was a 551, a 550, 547, and then that last point ten was a – at 523 and so um you know and I and I never really felt 
totally depleted or exhausted. It wasn't an all-out effort. And so um, it kind of left us going into CIM wondering, you know, um, you know, we knew I was in 250-ish shape, um, but, uh, you know, 245 was the goal, but it was one of those goals that, you know, it was risky. And, um, you know, my coach kind of just told me, you know, we had two options with that. You know, you can go in and run what we know, or you can go in and leave it all out there. And we just we chose to leave it all out there. So that's interesting. I got a couple questions there. First of all, how did you know, like, what benchmarks were you using to say that you were in 250-ish shape? Yeah, so with training runs, you know, we have, um, you know, he would have me do uh, some fast finishes on my long runs and some mile on mile offs. And um, so we kind of just knew where where my threshold was and what I could hold comfortably. Um, And so we kind of just knew what I could do if I went out and comfortably ran what I could sustain. And, um, you know, and when we started talking about the 245 and getting down into the 618 range, you know, it was something that I could do in the half marathon and it felt very comfortable in the 10 mile race, but it wasn't something that I had really tapped into, um, you know, for anything more than a half marathon. And so, um, you know, it was iffy. Um, I, you know, I definitely on the 10 mile run, I felt like if I had to go back out and run it again, I could have done it. But again, you know, that last 10 K is that, that question mark. And, um, so that's kind of what I knew in going into CIM, I, you know, I knew that if I were to hold that pace, you know, until mile 20, it was going to be a fight that last 10 K. And I just kind of prepared for it. Right. And then you say that, that you're right. Basically you say, uh, for you mental, basically 99% of running for you is mental. You're a very right. mental runner. So right. going into that race, not having a race plan. So basically the night before that's, that's that must've been a little uh, anxiety ridden for you considering how much you want to prepare and how you know mentally driven you are. Right. Yeah. So I think what's great about this coach is he gets me, you know, um, even with the uh, 5k and the 10 miler, you know, going into it, I kind of, I was sick before the 10 miler and I tried to tell him several times, no, I just don't want to run it. He's like, no, you'll be fine. You know, just use it as a training run. Of course I went out and it felt fine. Um, ended up winning the race. Same thing with the 5k, you know, it was just kind of one of those things, you know, I don't know. And it went out and did great. And so he kind of gets it. And so he knew that if he were to tell me going into the race, um, you know, in the weeks before what the goal was that I would start looking back and saying, Oh, you know, I don't know, you know, it took me a couple times to do this long run or, um, you know, I didn't quite have the, the greatest build. And, um, so he kind of knew that just kind of talking to me the night before would just kind of just set the goal, but um, kind of relieve that pressure that most of us runners kind of experience leading up to a race. We all know what that big goal is, but, um, you know, sometimes they can put some added pressure that if you just remove, um, you, you line up just feeling more relaxed and confident and comfortable. And um, so, yeah, so at dinner, he just laid it out there and, um, you know, kind of reassured me that morning of what the goal was to kind of chase that 245 pace group and, um, you know, I really, that's just all I focused on was just, um, you know, holding, holding as close as I could to that 245 pace group and, um, you know, just trusting myself on that last 10K to just dig as deep as I possibly could. And it's funny that he put it like, all right, you have two options. You either can do with what you can do, what you know what you can do, or you can go for it. But it sounds like knowing you, that really isn't a choice. Like, was there any choice? Was there any chance you would have chosen the first option? No, but you know, so there's not truly, I I wanted to go for it from the very beginning, but I think, you know, sometimes you just, you worry about, and it's bad to say, you kind of worry about like what, what other people might think slightly. And I told a few girls that I had met down there and, um, you know, social media can be a great thing, but it can also be a a terrible thing. And I, you know, and so in my mind, I thought, man, you know, if I go out and I blow up on that last 10 K, you know, um, I don't want to 
I don't want to hear, oh, yeah, you know, she wasn't prepared for. You know, it's the negativity that, you know, I try to steer clear of. And so I tried to remove a lot of that kind of going into it, just kind of go back and focus on what I knew I could do. I I spend a lot of time leading up to a race um, really reflecting on um, what I know, what what I know I've done. So I go back and I look at my training log and I look at my runs that I've nailed. Um, and I try to prepare my mind to, to really know that I, I'm capable of doing this. Um, you know, because going into a race, if you're not confident and mentally you already have those doubts, um, when it starts to hurt, it's easy to, to, to find that out. Um, so, you know, when I go into a race, I've already built a wall. There's no way out but ahead. So, you know, when I'm at mile 20 and it's hurting, I know that the only way I'm going to get out of this is straight ahead. I've already built up every wall and, and made myself strong and knowing everything that I've done to get to this point. And so, um, you know, I really try to just mentally prepare for when it gets tough. I, I don't wait until it hurts to start digging deep. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely, there's an added pressure. I mean, you, you know, you know, you open up, we've opened our lives up in our house and um, I've opened up like our training and um, everything that I've done leading up to this. And so, you know, you definitely, you expose all aspects of it, but with doing that, you also can get a lot of, um, you know, opinions. And, uh, so I was definitely just nervous to kind of go out and, um, you know, blow up and then just kind of hear the backside of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, there was definitely some nerves going into it. Right. And then you got a last minute bib change. All of a sudden you're, you're able to go off, uh, to start the race with the, uh, other elite runners. And for you going into this race, did you have a sense like, are you able to, like, pick out who the elite runners are, like, without looking at a bib? Like, did you know exactly who you were running with and against at that point? You know, it's, you know, all runners come in all shapes and sizes, so it's really hard these days to kind of tell. Um, but the bibs, they had their names on them, and they had, uh, you know, F and then, like, a one-digit number. And so um, I could clearly just tell mostly by their bibs. Um, and so running as I would pass them, that's really how I knew. Um, and the way the bibs worked was numbers. So anything less than 400 um, was kind of like an idea of, of where they were as a runner. Right. So then the first first 10 miles, you stayed you know, a little bit behind the 245 group, running comfortably, running good pace. And then at the 10-mile mark, for you – what happened in terms of the, the switch that you flipped and how did you feel at that point? Yeah, so that was really a breakthrough moment for me because, uh, you know, I had chased these girls and, um, you know, when they started to slow, as I went to pass them and I saw their bibs and I saw their elite bibs, I had that moment of weakness of thinking to myself, like, oh, you know, am I going too fast? You know, what did your coach tell you? You know, are, you know, am, I, you know am I messing up here? But then it was that moment of realizing exactly what I went into this race to do, and that was to leave it all out there. I hadn't done that all summer with any race. I, you know, I didn't have a full taper, and I didn't um, have as much rest and, and a goal. And, um, and this was the race where I was going to leave it all out there. And, you know, darn it, at mile 10, that was not going to be a point where I was going to just sacrifice anything of what I had gone into this race to do. And so um, I took the lead and, um, you know, the girls stayed with me for maybe another mile and a half, two miles, and um, they never passed me. So, um, you know, it was one of those moments. And if you look back, you know, I really didn't have much time to spare, you know, from the Olympic qualifying time um, from my finish. And so, you know, if there would have been that moment there where I would have doubted my abilities or slowed at all, it could have cost me that know that qualifier so um yeah so it was just definitely one of those moments just seeing their bibs where where you can question yourself but you know I I tell myself this and I've said this before it's your story it's not their story it's not 
what they did. And, um, you know, this was about what I did to get here and what my goal was. And I wasn't willing to sacrifice that. Right. And then going into this race, you, you mentioned how you didn't consider yourself an elite runner at that. At what did at any point in this race, did that shift for you or did you not kind of get that in your head about it? You know, even sitting here right now, I don't consider myself an elite runner. I just, <laughs> you know, I just truly, you know, and, and honestly, you know, sometimes my coach will send me paces and I'll think he's crazy. You know, like he wants me to do these repeats at what pace. And um, so, you know, I, sometimes it's hard for me to even believe the progress. And um, so, uh, you know, lining up out there, I, I don't really ever want to lose that side of myself. I'm, I'm totally okay being that girl wearing throwaway clothes um, outside of the heated tent. And um, just being real, because that's really how I started. You know, I don't feel like I'm entitled to anything different, um, you know, but I definitely, I think the, the cool thing is, though, is, um, you know, being able to be out there and, and running um, with them, it's definitely been a challenge. It pushes me to work harder. Um, you know, I, I said it in the blog when I recapped the race, but I mean, these were some pretty big fish. Um, you know, I like to fish during a race when it starts to hurt, when I, I try to focus on somebody ahead of me, but you know, this is one of those races. It was the marathon, the half marathon championship and, um, or the marathon championships. And it just, it was really just a day that, uh, you know, I had some, uh, some really talented, strong runners out there and I just did whatever I could just to, um, you know, keep, keep as close to them as I possibly could. Right. So you, you hit the 20 mile mark, you got 10 K left and anyone who's ever run a marathon knows that's like, Oh my goodness, you hit 20, you hit 20 miles. It's such an achievement. And then you're like, I still have six to go. And these are going to be easily the hardest miles of the race. You know, and right. I think it, it's, it's, it's cliche to say that the 20 mile mark is the actual halfway point in a marathon. And even in your recap, you were like, boy, did it hurt at that point? How did it, how did that pain or discomfort compare to the other marathons you'd run at the 20 mile mark? Um, you know, I think my legs just felt a little bit heavier and the breathing was more taxed. I, you know, I'd pushed pace this time. And so, um, it was different, you know, with the other races, I think it was just more fatigue. Um, you know, this was just a little bit more of a, um, you know, a breathless, just trying to, to maintain that calmness and, and just kind of push through it. Um, you know, I really just, you know, kind of just moving, kind of going further than what you asked, but I just tried to focus on each mile. So it was whatever I could do to get to the next mile. Um, you know, I just, when it started to hurt, I didn't want to think about 10 K. It was more just about what could I do to get to mile 21? And, um, so I would just focus on something in front of me and just kind of work to get to it. And then once I got there, it was, okay, what can you do to get to the next mile? So I tried to, you know, try to keep, you know, each mile, um, you know, within reach and not focus so much on the big goal, but on the little goals kind of leading up to that finish. Hey, we've all been there. Every marathoner has been there where you have to kind of do the mental gymnastics right. of like, all right, right. how am I going to trick myself into keep the, keeping this going, especially if you're trying to maintain a certain pace while you're doing it. Sometimes it's just not a matter of like, am I going to continue to run? It's like, hey, can I keep this pace up with my legs are getting tight? I might not be extending my legs as far as I had earlier in the race. So for you, when you're doing that kind of mile by mile mental plan, how much are you focusing on time and pace? Like how much are you looking at the 245 mark and the splits leading up to that as you're kind of coming down the road and the last couple of miles in? Yeah. So, you know, I really didn't know too much. When we started, there was a big crowd for the 245 pace group. And then, so I never really knew who the actual pace group 
the, the person was at the 245. I just, it was a big group in the beginning and they kind of dispersed. So I really didn't know where I was, but I knew I was on the brink. And as I was closing the finish, um, people were screaming, you know, you're right there. You can do it. You know, you're at the cutoff. You can do it. And so it was just kind of one of those things that I was, um, you know, the closer I got, I realized this was a possibility. And I kind of started asking myself, like, you know, you've got you've to gotta be willing to give everything you can. Because at this point, I knew I was going to PR. That wasn't a doubt. But it was going to be either you're going to PR or you're going to do the, the, you know, the ultimate and go and get that Olympic trials qualifier. And it was just going to come down to that you know, last fight in the end. And um, so, you know, I remember there were some points right around the finish where, I, you know, um, my husband had screamed out. I, I saw my coach right before the finish. And, of course, he screams two minutes and he's flailing his arms. And um, my husband shouted, you know, at the end of this road, when you turn left, there's the finish. And, of course, you know, in, in the end of a race, <laughs> a road can seem endless. And, um, so I, d I do remember surging a little bit and I took that left and, and, and saw that clock and, um, you know, I knew I was going to do it and it was just, um, leaving it all out there. But, um, you know, for sure, you know, that fatigue and that, that muscle, you know, I was, I was tired, but at that point, you know, in a marathon, when you get to mile 20, you know, you've broken through that wall per se, and, and you just got to lay it all out there. I mean, there's nothing you can do to make that feel comfortable. You're not going to run 26 miles in a training run. You know, you, we, you may run 22, 24 miles, but it's fight on that backside, and it just comes down to how bad you want it. And that's why I say it's 99.9% .9 mental is because, um, you know, your body can do amazing things if you just believe that it's possible. And um, it just comes down to how, how, how bad you want it. You know, I've said that before. You know, how, how far are you willing to push to kind of get to that next, you know, that next mile? Right. And, and, and you obviously had belief that you were ultimately going to achieve this goal. And yet at the same time, I think it was the video of you after you crossed the finish line was so touching because while you obviously had assurance that you could do it. And then obviously you, you have your watch, you have the clock above the finish line, you can see what's happening. And then once you crossed, it was obviously a very emotional experience for you. So what, what exactly was going through your head once you crossed the finish line and, and what kind of, I guess, poured out of you at that point? Yeah. So it was extremely emotional. I remember coming down that home stretch and seeing the clock. And of course I start crying like before I'm even to the finish and that form went out the window, like I said, and it just, um, you know, I crossed that finish line and, um, I, it just, I think it was just surreal. Um, you know, leading up to this, I, I probably had more people behind the scenes that thought it was possible than I, I, I mean, I, I knew it was definitely something that I wanted to do. Did I think it was going to happen at CIM? You know, I, I'd hoped and I, I was going to try for it, but you know, um, my husband and my coach, uh, my husband had packed a flag. And so, you know, moments after crossing the finish line, I'm crying and I'm, you know, telling him, you know, that I made it. And even then, you know, the um, race results were kind of delayed for that race. And so they didn't truly know yet if I had made it. And um, so in that video, you may not be able to tell, but my coach is hugging me and he whispers in my ear, you know, what was your time? And you can hear me utter out my time. And that's when he screams and hugs me. And so it was that <laughs> moment of them kind of realizing too, in that moment that I had done it. Um, my husband hadn't had, knew I had done it because he was running down the sideline with his bike. So he had seen the clock, but um, it was a really cool moment because, um, you know, the flag that I'm holding is not something that was just generically at the finish line. My husband had actually bought that flag before we left 
Texas to fly to California and actually had it like the entire time when we were in Sacramento and had packed it in his bag. And so um, when I finished and they knew that I had qualified, you know, he pulled the flag out, which was super cool. And just like, I just, I think what just touched on that for me was just that he kind of believed that it was possible and that it was going to happen at this race. Um, probably before I did, um, you know, same thing with my coach. Um, they kind of knew that it was a possibility and it was just, um, you know, knowing that the people that were around me that kind of, they believed in me before I kind of believed in myself. Um, so, you know, seeing him take that flag out and taking that picture, it was one of those things that I had seen happening. I just didn't quite see it happening at, um, this soon. I still just, um, you know, I just is a journey. And, uh, you know, like I said, I, I didn't feel like it was the best marathon build, but, um, you know, they thought otherwise. Yeah. I mean, I obviously worked out pretty well. <laughs> That's for sure. And, yeah. um, if part, part of that marathon interested, cause you, first of all, I don't know if you've always been this way, but you seem like you are like nonstop energy. So not only are you putting in, you know, crazy mileage, like any elite or sub elite marathoner is, but in addition to that, you're doing constant like, you know, fitness classes, you're doing jujitsu, you're doing kickboxing, you're doing all this stuff. So I guess, first of all, how much of that is, hey, I'm just an energetic person, and I need to do these things? Or is it more based on like, hey, I think this has actual tangible benefits to my running? Right. So I think like the biggest thing is balance. So I try to balance, um, you know, I keep the hard days hard, extremely hard, and I keep the easy days easy. So, um, you know, the kickboxing, the jiu-jitsu, um, you know, on, on the days that I've done a hard run, you know, then that's something, those are the days that I'm really going to push and, and do that. But I feel like, you know, many times I hear from runners, they ask, you know, why, you know, how can you do what you do and not be injured? And, you know, I think the biggest thing is just building a strong body. So I can't truly say, you know, with the kickboxing, you know, it's, it's building core and strength. And, um, you know, the jujitsu is, 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 you know, another strength builder. And, um, you know, so I feel like, you know, in the weight training, all of those things kind of just built a strong body in a sense that I'm not just defined by just being a runner. Um, so I think just me allowing myself to do the cross training, but doing it smart, you know, allowing my body to recover when it needs to recover. But, um, you know, adding that extra stuff in has just really kept everything, um, you know, working and doing its part. Now, do you feel like you run? I guess, how do you feel like when, when you're running that it affects you? Does it, you know, does you just, are you faster now? Or is it just, yeah. you'd hold tempo pace longer? What's, what's, what are some of the Yeah. So I feel powerful. Um, you know, when you look back to my very first marathon, when I ran that 329, when I'm crossing that finish line, I'm in pain. And when we talk about the difference between California, how I felt running that race, you know, you, there was some fatigue and, you know, you've got muscle tired, your muscles are fatigued and, and you're, you're, you know, aerobically, you might just be kind of reaching your limits. Um, but you know, with that race, it was more just painful. Um, and I think a lot of that was just, um, my nutrition was off and I had no muscle strength. That was very skinny. Um, and so now when I run, I just feel powerful. You know, I do, um, strength training, um, four times a week and, um, you know, just when you're running on that road, just to feel, you know, that strength to propel you forward, um, you know, just, it just, it's just different. You know, I, I do plyometrics and, um, I really focus on legs and core. I think that's huge as a runner and, um, you know, I can just feel it. I just, it just, it, it feels, I just feel like I'm moving forward and, and strong rather than just kind of running, you know, um, it just, there's more force behind that stride. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so 
you know, you're only a week and a half after CIM, but you start to look at 2018 and start thinking about, all right, what are some plans that you may have or goals that you may have in store for that year? Yeah, so for sure, I'm definitely going to try to keep, you know, working on that speed. Um, so I was originally supposed to run the Houston Marathon. I've downgraded to the half marathon, and so that's on January 14th. So we'll kind of see between now, um, you know, on January 14th, how well I can um, recover and maybe get some speed in. I'd like to break 120 in that half marathon. Um, my PR, I actually ran it at CIM, was a 122 for a half. So I'm um, going to try to work on that half marathon time. And then uh, I get, I'll get to go to Boston this year again. So that will be my second marathon this year. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not real sure yet on Boston's goal, but I definitely just want to get back to working on speed. Um, you know, just try to, um, you know, get back in and just build that routine again. And, um, you know, just when I looked at 2018, I'd love to get a marathon PR. Um, you know, I'd like to work on that A standard. Um, I think that's a 237. Um, so, you know, really that's just the big goal is just to keep progressing. So what part of your training in 2017 do you think you did better than you had done in previous years? So I added some more marathon-specific training. Um, I really started focusing on some fast finishes. I think that's great. Um, I just, on those long runs, I would uh, fast finish. So it really helped with negative splitting. And then um, also, you know, on those fatigued legs, on those 20-milers, you know, what, adding those last two or three miles at your marathon goal pace, um, you know, really helped just kind of get my body and um, everything used to that. And um, so I think that really helped um, mile on, mile off. So, I, you know, for a long run, I would run a mile at an easy pace and then a mile on at marathon pace. And so I think just, you know, really trying to, to focus on those long runs and just get creative with it, you know, rather than just going out and just doing a, um, you know, a long 20 mile run and, you know, really trying to focus in on those last miles when it really does hurt. Cause like we said, it comes down to that last 10 K. And so, um, you know, run that long run nice and easy, but, you know, tap into that marathon pace, that last mile, you know, get your body used to what you're going to be doing on race day. Yeah, that's a good point. And those, those can be really, uh, really challenging runs, but definitely can, uh, if you're, if you're looking to run well in the marathon, can certainly, uh, do the trick. Before we do the, the kind of the fast questions at the end, uh, the little lightning round, just want to say, first of all, thank you for your time. Uh, you've been very generous with your time doing the podcast. I really yeah. appreciate it. And um, also, before we start doing those, if people want to get either in touch with you via your website or follow you, what's the best way to do so? Um, email would be great. Run to PR at yahoo.com. Um, also, Instagram is fantastic. I do my best to um, respond. Um, like I said, we're in this together, so I'm an open book. You know, I may not be a quick uh, responder all the time, but I'm definitely here and I will respond. Um, you know, I, I, I want to do whatever I can to, to help anybody out there that's chasing that goal. Right, and that's run, and then the number two, pr.com. Um, all right, so a couple, couple rapid-fire questions for you. I know you're a headphones person, so what are you listening to during your runs? You know, I love BPM-type music. Um, I, I, I like that fast beat um so yeah so bpm i like halsey um uh let's see what are some of my other favorites um silence marshmallow those are those are some of my top songs right now okay um what's the best advice you give some of your runners but that you have trouble following hmm, i would say it's probably um you know comparison don't compare yourself to other runners you know i struggle with that 
Um, you know, a lot of times leading up to a race, you'll start uh, Instagramming and you'll see that so-and-so is running 20 miles a week before the marathon. And so you'll start wondering, <laughs> I be running 20 miles before the week of a marathon. So, you know, comparison can be the thief of joy. So it's, you know, Hey, I struggle with that too. So get off the Instagram, get off the social media the week before the marathon and, uh, you know, do your thing. Don't focus on necessarily what everybody else is doing because uh, it can definitely eat you up. Yeah, that's a good point. And for you, you know, I, I, your running journey motivating you know i look at things that maybe i could do in the future but for you who motivates you when you're thinking about what's what's possible in your own running career you know truly it goes back to my kids i think that's what motivates me i mean i wish i could say it was some elite runner but um you know i'm really doing this so that one day my kids when they try to do something and they say it's too hard or impossible that i can kind of say you know hey look you know i wasn't anything spectacular and um you know i was able to do some pretty cool things and so um you know really that's what motivates me it's it's truly that one day when i'm no longer to able to run like this and i don't look like this and um you know i'm just that mom that doesn't know anything that i might know something you know so that's, that's my that's my motivation. There you go. All right. If you could run only one more race the rest of your life, but you could run it every year, which race would you choose? Um, definitely the Houston Marathon. You know, it's my it's my hometown, and uh, it's it's the very first race I ever ran and got that BQ. So it's it's a it's a sentimental race to me. Okay. And what's the biggest hurdle, either mental or physical, you've ever overcome in a race? Biggest hurdle. Um, you know, I would say that very first Boston qualifier, um, I had a friend that right right at the end when I was just really hurting and um, just wanted to give up, she, she uttered out these words. She said, you know, just pretend you just started. And um, it was everything I needed to hear in that moment. And so I think that was like the biggest hurdle was that very first marathon of not really understanding the marathon distance per se in itself and, um, you know, getting to that. I think this was at mile 22 when she uttered those words out. But, um, you know, I think that was probably the, the hardest part. I think with any first-time marathoner, you know, um, you really don't know what that first marathon is going to be like. And um, so just being able to power through that last, um, you know, few miles on that very first marathon was probably the hardest of any race that I've run. I believe it. And I think most marathon runners would, would, would say the same thing about their, about their first marathon. I know I would. I know how mine first, right. my first marathon went. Um, all right. So two more. What is on your bucket list for a race that you really want to do that you haven't done yet? You know, I'd like to run uh, Berlin or London. I, I tried for the lottery this last year for London, and I didn't get in. Um, so I'd like to do maybe Tokyo Marathon, something something different. You know, uh, a good travel marathon is, is on my bucket list. So I'm definitely going to try to get into one of those three. Got it. And last one, who is your dream running partner? Dream running partner. Um, you know, I'd probably say Sarah Hall. Um, so I attended a retreat with them um, I think it was four years ago and um, she offered a lot of nutritional advice and she's been a friend. Um, Ryan worked with me for a little bit um, last year. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I really just, I, I, I appreciate how they are as, as people and as runners. And um, so, yeah, I definitely, that would, that she would be my dream partner and Hey, you know, she runs, she won CIM. So of she's course. a good partner to have. I know after five weeks of rest from running her previous marathon, again, yes. another, another unbelievable uh, figure in the running community. And obviously she'll be running uh, Boston as well. So you have a chance yes. to, to, to go up against her in her uh, in 2018. Right. I saw that lineup. It's a pretty good lineup. There's uh, Jordan's going to be there. Uh, Rob's going to be there. So um, Molly, Huddle, Molly will be there. Huddle. Yeah. Yeah. So there's going to be some uh, some awesome runners there. So that's going to be pretty cool to kind of be, um, you know, be there and, and to watch all of them crush it.
For sure. Yeah, I, I work at Providence College. I get to see Molly and Emily do their track workouts on the track right outside my office. I think it's like oh, the best part of my day. Hey, if that doesn't motivate you, what will? Right. That's a good point. Or demoralize you. Seeing those splits <laughs> is, uh, is something else. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on. Congratulations on your wonderful CIM race. And we look forward to seeing what you're going to be able to do in 2018. Awesome. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Happy running. Thank you. You too.